What a great, what a great song, isn't it? Can we say thank you to Aaron again for, man. And that's, it leads us, leads us perfectly into the subject that we're going to be looking at from the scriptures this morning. A number of months ago, the singer, songwriter, uh, rapper, however you want to rephrase him, um, Ja Rule, any Ja Rule fans in the house? Okay, um, I didn't think so. Um, started planning an event that he called the Coachella of the Islands. And so instead of having a music festival in the middle of the desert like Coachella does, that he was gonna have a private island and have a bunch of bands come in. And it was gonna be an epic two weeks of listening to bands. They had Blink-182, Blink-182 fans? Yeah, no, okay. Um, that, yeah, but they were going to be headlining it, and it was going to be two weeks of luxury living on a private island in the Bahamas. It was called the Fire Festival, Fire with a Y. Sounds pretty epic, doesn't it? If you've never heard of this, it didn't exactly turn out the way that they planned. Because instead of having a private island, it was actually a sliver of a public island that had a sandals resort right in view. Um, instead of luxury tents, they um, actually had old FEMA tents that were set up on the beach. This, is, this was happening right now. There's people who paid $12,000 to get over to the Bahamas to go to this epic music festival on a private island, and now they're looking for a boat to take them home because it went terribly. This is what they showed up to. Instead of luxury um, condos or tents or whatever they were expecting, they got FEMA, um, and instead of gourmet food, they got well, this, this is uh, somebody's tweet from the fire festival. He says, here's the dinner they fed us tonight. Literally slices of bread, cheese, and salad with no dressing. I mean, can you imagine being in the Bahamas, spending $12,000 to get there? And this is what awaited you? Now, luckily, if you have a complaint about the accommodations or the food, the concierge would love to hear about it um, in his ultra luxurious, like thatch roofed hot. I don't know. Like, what were they, what were they planning? Can you imagine what it'd have been like, what it might've been like to a few weeks ago, get on a plane that left from wherever you lived to fly into the Bahamas with the expectation that you were going to one of the most unique, epic music festivals ever. And you showed up to this. For me, I was watching this unfold, and it was a reminder of the way that expectations play a large part in determining our enjoyment of life. Have you noticed that? That if your expectation is, hey, we're going to go and we're going to eat gourmet food, and you get um, cheese and bread and salad with no dressing, I might add, you're going to be a little bit disappointed, are you not? And if we were to go around the room this morning, and, and we were to, to each have the chance to share, I think our deepest pains, one of the threads we'd see is that one of our deepest pains collectively as a family of faith would be times where expectations were unmet. Times where we thought things were going to go in a certain direction and they went in a different direction. Times where if we're people of faith, if we walk with God, then some of our deepest pain in walking with God surrounds times where he didn't show up the way that we wanted him to. Times where we knew he had the power, we knew he could, but he chose for whatever reason not to work. 
And expectations, they set a foundation for our life and unrealistic expectations um, serve to create a faulty foundation and a shaky foundation. And a lot of us, we, we have that in marriages. We see that firsthand in marriages, don't we? Where the expectations that we walked into marriage with aren't exactly the way that it plays out. Like, I expect that every single night I come home, dinner's going to be waiting for me on the table. The kids are going to be bathed and quiet, and we're all going to sit down and enjoy. I'm just kidding. I don't. That, that, that happens, she said. Um, it does a lot of nights. It's supposed to be a joke, but yeah. Hey, I expect. <laughs> Edit that out. Yeah, that does. Okay, never mind. It's a different illustration. Um, I expect that when I get into the car and turn the key that my car is going to start. I expect my, my brain sends my body signals to move a certain way and do a certain thing. And I expect that my body is going to respond. Now, as I get older, my brain sends the same signals and my body doesn't want to do what my brain's telling it to do as often. But expectations, they matter. They not only matter in life, but they matter in faith because they create a foundation. And we, when we create an unrealistic foundation because of an unrealistic expectation, it leads us to a place in our lives with Jesus that sometimes leaves us scratching our head a little bit. And here's the truth of the matter is that without an accurate expectation of God, we can never have an abundant life of faith. If our, if our expectations are off, if we expect that God will do something that he hasn't promised to do and he doesn't plan on doing, but if we expect it, then we're going to live a lot of our faith life. A lot of our journey with Jesus is going to be riddled with frustration and disappointment. And, and sometimes it'll lead us to a place of absolute doubt and being at the end of our rope when the problem was at the onset, we had an unrealistic expectation of the way that God would move and the way that God would work. Will you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, and then we're going to jump into 1 Samuel chapter 14 today. Hebrews chapter 11 follows Hebrews chapter 10 um, and, yeah, and 9. Um, but in the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews has laid out this picture of Jesus as, as the better high priest who gives his life for his people by the shedding of his blood provides redemption. And then in Hebrews chapter 11, the author of Hebrews unpacks for us lives of people who lived by faith. And it's this hall of fame of faith, as many people refer to it. But we're going to pick it up in verse 32 and listen to the way that we get this picture of what the life of faith looks like. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, who, by the way, with 300 people after sending thousands of his army away, 300 left, goes and attacks the army and is victorious. A move of God like we have rarely seen. Gideon, who, who, how could we have time to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David, of Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith obtained promises stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Who's in with me? Like this is the life of faith we read about and we go, oh yeah, I am, I am signing up for that. 
If faith means that we receive back the dead, if faith means that we stop the mouth of lions, if faith means that the fiery furnace is quieted, I want in. Who's with me? And there's not even a verse break. There's barely punctuation. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept relief so that they may rise again to a better life. Um, Others, it said, suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. If that's faith, who wants in on that? See, if you read through the 11th chapter of Hebrews, there's one thread. There's different outcomes, but there's one thread. The thread is all of these people lived by faith. Some of them lived by faith and they saw God do the miraculous and they saw God show up and a mighty move of his hand. And others, others were, well, sawn in two. And others hid in caves. And others, well, the lion's mouth didn't stop. Which begs the question, what are our expectations of God? What do we expect God to do? If we enter into the life of faith with Jesus, what are our expectations of him and from him? Because if that's the life of faith, how are we supposed to hold on to God in the midst of things like that? Well, if we expect that God shows up every time the way that we hope he will, we can't do it, which is why expectations are so important when it comes to living life with Jesus. 1 Samuel chapter 14, will you turn over there with me? Last week, we started a series where we're exploring this beautiful passage of scripture where Jonathan, who's the son of the king, Saul, is... Um, waiting with the rest of his quote-unquote army. There's 600 of them, and they have been receiving raids from the Philistine army day after day. And they're on one side of the valley. It looks similar to this. The the Israelites are on one side of the valley in Gibeah, and the the Philistines are on the other side of the valley in Michmash, and the Philistines are talking trash. The Philistines are sending raids. The Philistines have as many weapons as they can hold. The Israelites have two swords. Saul has one of them, and Jonathan has one of them. And we saw last week that Jonathan refuses to just sit on one side of the valley and exist. But he decides to step into the gap and and live. He he knows there's a difference between existing and living. And and he he chooses life. And here's what he says. Behind all of this action on Jonathan's part is, is a conviction. And behind every one of your actions is a conviction as well. Here's his conviction. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, come Let's go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Will you say these next three words with me, church? It may be 
It, it may be that the Lord will show up and work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. It may be that God will show up on our behalf and work mightily. I mean, can you imagine the president of the United States giving a speech like this? Hey, we're about to invade North Korea, and it may be that we'll be victorious. We're going into the Middle East and we have no clue how this is going to turn out. It, it might be that we would win. Implicit within his statement is, well, it may be that God doesn't show up. It, it may be that things don't turn out the way that we hope that they would or pray that they will. Um, it may be on the surface doesn't exactly look like a ringing endorsement of confidence, does it? As a parent, I use the term maybe a lot. My kids ask for things all the time, and I use the phrase maybe to give me time to think about, am I going to actually say yes to this, or am I going to say no to this? Ironically, my kids always hear that maybe means yes, whatever they ask for. It doesn't work that way with God, does it? Maybe he'll, he'll show up, and I think Jonathan really feels the weight of, of the maybe, and what if faith looks more like maybe than certainty? What if, what if the life of faith is the, the, the conviction that God can, but not necessarily the certainty that God will? Here's why this rings true with us. Because we've all been in situations where we knew God could and he didn't. We've all been in situations where we've prayed for healing, and if we're people of faith, we know God sits enthroned above the universe, and it just takes a word from his mighty mouth, and universes come into existence. Certainly, he can step in and, and heal, and we've all been a part of times where he hasn't. We've been in seasons where we've prayed for just the relationship to come back together, and and it hasn't turned out that way. See, the problem with a faith that's based in certainty, I know God's going to do fill in the blank, is that we can't live a real, honest, authentic life that way because God sometimes does things that we don't expect. Anyone want to say amen to that? That sometimes we're left sort of scratching our head and going, God, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure that, that I wanted that or expected that, and I certainly didn't pray for that. Um, Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in Babylon, and they refuse to bow the knee to the Babylonian king, and so they're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace and listen to their profession of maybe faith. If this be so, they're going to be thrown into the furnace. If this be so, the God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And notice this like vote of confidence, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Well, but... But if not, but if not, if, if we burn in this furnace, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship your golden images that you've set up. Hey, even on our deathbed, we refuse to bow the knee. You can take our lives, but you will not take our faith. That's what he's saying. To quote Braveheart amended just a little bit. Yeah, this is the maybe faith, isn't it? It might be that God quiets the furnace, and in this case, he does, but, 
we typically want to make equations out of the way God works, don't we? So, so we want to say, well, this is the way you pray the prayer, and this is the way you ask God, and when you ask God that way, well, then it turns out your way. But life isn't that simple, is it? And the life of faith isn't that clean cut, is it? Because some receive back their dead and some stop the mouths of lions and some quiet the furnace and some are sodden too. And the thread that weaves its way throughout all of it, faith. Faith is a conviction that God can, not certainty that God will. So in light of that maybe kind of faith, I want to just jump back into this story. And we're going to focus in on this one verse and ask a lot of questions about it this morning. But I want to look at, in light of this maybe conviction, how did, how did Jonathan live and what did he do in light of the faith that he had? And I do think that this is a genuine, beautiful, honest, and authentic declaration of faith. Nothing can stop our God. The the odds are stacked against him, certainly, but he doesn't need weapons in order to win a war. He doesn't need a vast army to gain victory. Nothing can tie his hands. God has never said, I wish I could have, or I wish I wouldn't have. Faith is this conviction. God, you can do whatever you want to do. I'm not going to presume on what that is. I'm just sure that whatever your plan is, you're going to execute and you're going to be victorious and I'm with you. Look at the way Jonathan says it. He says, come to his armor bearer. Come on, come on. Let's go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised people. It may be that the Lord will work for us, and it may be that we're going to get beat down and die. It's a statement of of risk. It's It's a statement of uncertainty, We have no idea what the journey looks like in front of us. We just know that that we're being invited to go. See, we'd love to read through this passage and look at Jonathan's life and find some command of God in here to go. Like where God whispers in Jonathan's ear, hey, I want you to go and I want you to attack the Philistines. But that's absent in this passage. It's nowhere here. He does not have a command that he's following. He doesn't hear the voice of God. He sees the opportunity. He steps into the gap and he chooses to live a life of risk. And he leaves behind the stable shore journeying into the unknown ocean. And see, when we embrace this life of faith, this life of faith that says God can, and we're not exactly sure if he will, but we know he can, We choose a path of risk over a life of of certainty. We think, because of some of our values, we think that faith weeds out uncertainty. And we get it all wrong. Faith actually prepares us to live a life of ambiguity, a life of, I'm not exactly sure how this day is going to turn out, but I know who holds my day, and so I can step into the unknown with him. Our faith is often based around certainty that God will show up in a certain way and do a certain thing because that's what we value. We value safety and we value comfort and we hope that God promises that. The only problem with that is the scriptures all throughout. Some receive back their dead. Some are sawn in two. Both live 
by faith. To move fully with God is to accept a life full of uncertainties grounded on a foundation of assurance underneath it all. I love the way that Oswald Chambers puts it. He says this, to be certain of God means that we are uncertain in all our ways. How's that for a turn of a phrase? We don't know what the day may bring forth. This is generally said with a sigh of sadness. It should rather be an expression of breathless expectation. We don't know what the day may bring forth. We have no idea how God is going to move. Here's what he says. We often try to step around the life of faith and we choose a life of certainty instead of risk. And in doing so, we miss out on some of the most beautiful surprises that we could ever imagine. I've um, had the chance to do a number of weddings and as I read through my, just my notes for a service, I can remember the wedding, but, but there's a few of them that just stand out to me. And they're the ones that did not go according to plan. Uh, they're the ones where the skies opened up and the rains came in an outdoor wedding in, in epic proportions. I mean, I envision Noah up with God going a little bit heavy-handed, God, don't you think? I mean, <laughs> it's a bit much, right? Um, one of them that I, I remember more than maybe any other one was an outdoor wedding on a golf course. It was beautiful. It was hot. And you may have noticed I don't preach for a short amount of time. And one of the groomsmen locked his knees and he went down hard. And so we stopped the wedding and propped him up in the front aisle or the front row. And I mean, his head sort of bobbing back and forth throughout the whole thing. And as we pronounce them husband and wife and they walk out, he gets a wave of courage over him and thinks, I'm going to redeem myself. And I'm walking out of here on my own two feet in the recessional. And so he stands up and he walks towards me to meet the girl that he was walking arm in arm with down the aisle. He gets in front of me and his legs go like this. And he's not starting to dance yet. Okay. And so I go up to him, I grab him and I lower him down and I'm like, just get out of here, get, just everybody else leave. And I went and I, gra I went and I grabbed the bride and groom afterwards and they were just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he passed out. And I said, hey, here's the deal, here's the deal. I said, I do a lot of weddings and a lot of them I won't remember, yours I will never forget. Isn't it true that some of life's most unexpected moments, the, the risks that we step into, not knowing how the end is going to turn out, are, are both, yeah, we could tell stories about how they're some of the most painful moments in our life, but we could also, on the other side of that coin, say, well, this was the, one of the most beautiful things I've ever been a part of. This was the way that I saw God move and a way that I saw God work. And friends, risk is the context for miracles. Risk is the context for seeing God's hand move and his hand work and do things that we never could have possibly dreamed of or possibly expected. Very rarely in the scriptures do we ever see God do a miracle just to go, aren't I amazing or awesome? It's a per there's a purpose behind it. Somebody's, somebody needs healing. Somebody needs sight. Somebody needs God to come through. The Israelites are standing on a peninsula, water on three sides of them, and an Egyptian army barreling down on them. This isn't the parting of the Red Sea wasn't God going, aren't I awesome? It's God going, aren't I awesome on behalf of my people who were in desperate need and needed to see my hand move and it did. Risk is the context of, 
of miracle, I've often wondered if we don't see more miracles because we don't put ourselves in the place to need them. We have everything we need. If God is showing his strength through our weakness, then how do we create space in our life for him to shine through? Well, maybe it's by taking a few steps of faith or risk or stepping into uncertainty where we don't know how the story's going to end and we don't know how it's going to turn out. We don't know where the conversation's going to lead or how that step of action is going to lead from one thing to another. We don't know the end of the story, but we just know in order to do what we're asking God to do, it needs to be God doing it. It can't be us. You see, if we live in this place of, of certainty, we will take very few risks and will limit ourselves from some of life's most beautiful things. I mean, who, who of us in this room, if we would have waited to have kids until we were ready, I mean, I would still be waiting. They remind me every day I'm not ready for them. And they're growing up before my very eyes. I need to get ready, right? I mean, the, yeah, there's some things that God calls us to step into and he prepares us and readies us as we do it, not before we get there. The, the author of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, he says this. He says, he who observes the wind will not sow. Why? Well, because it's never gonna blow perfectly. It's never gonna be the exact right conditions to take that step of faith, to jump into the story. And he who regards the clouds will not reap. Why? Because it's never going to be exactly the way that you need it to be to feel certain. And if it were certain, would it be faith? See, maybe faith is designed more to invite us into the unknown than to answer all the questions. Um, for Jonathan, here's, here's what he says. He says, come on, come on. Let's go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised fellows. It may be that the Lord will work on our behalf. It may be that he doesn't. It may be that he does. He only knows. Here's my position. Here's my conviction. Here's my job in all of it is to embrace a posture of trust, not a position of control. I think in many ways, we've been sold a bill of goods when it comes to our expectations of faith. That, that we've been told subtly and explicitly that faith is the way to get God to do what you want God to do. That faith is sort of the genie in the bottle, and if you rub it the right way, then God will do exactly what you want him to do. And, and it just doesn't turn out that way. See, faith is a lot more like an anchor than it is a joystick, it's a lot more an anchor around the person of God, around God's character, conviction about who he is and his ability to if he wants to. Faith is an anchor. It's not a joystick that then we get to control God and make him do whatever we want him to do. And so maybe, maybe the idea of a sort of a name it and claim it theology isn't grounded in an understanding of the whole of, of Scripture, and he would ask maybe, what, what is it, Ryan? It doesn't Jesus talk about a faith that moves mountains? Yeah, he does. He says faith is small as a mustard seed. 
has the ability to move mountains. When Jesus taught that faith as small as a mustard seed moves mountains, he's not teaching that we need to have more faith or bigger faith or more certain faith. Rather, that small faith accomplishes great things. Jonathan, son of Saul, case and point. I have no idea how this is going to turn out. I just know my God is able, and I'm stepping into the story. So here's two things. If we want to live this type of life, two things. One, we have got to, got to, got to, got to value obedience over safety. God, if you say go, I'll go. Even if I don't know. That's faith. That's God, I'll go. Not God, I know. I know you're going to do this, or I know you've called me to this. It's, it's God, I sense that this is where you're inviting, and I sense that this is where you're leading. That's what, this is Abraham. He's, he's called by God, and he obeyed God when he was called to go out into a place that he was re- to receive as an inheritance. And when he went out, say it with me, church, not knowing where he was going. He's like, God, I'm with you. You're, you're, you're not a joystick in my hands, and by faith I get to control you. I'm stepping into the unknown with you, with you. And some of us, we wait for assurance to take a step of faith and it prevents us from taking any steps at all. Second thing is that we we have to get to a place where we decide, I'm going to choose to live a life of significance over a life of success. John Maxwell, the great leadership guru, talks about that a lot. But if our goal is success then failure is fatal, isn't it? If we have to achieve and, and do well at everything we do, we will only do things we know we do well. But if we choose, I, I, I want my life to matter. There's the image of God in me, and I believe that God has designed me and destined me and put me in a place for such a time as this, that he has good works prepared for me to walk into. And it's not how successful I am in all of my endeavors. It's how faithful I am to him and that it's choosing to live a life. God, I want you to work through my life. Even if you have to work through my failures, God, I'll walk with you through that. I won't like every moment of it, but I will walk with you through it. If our goal is success, we may never try something that has a potential to fail. And so our reframing of the life of faith is, it's not a way to control God. It's a posture to trust God. It's, I'm not letting go. I don't know how the end turns out, but I'm not letting go. So if you're journeying with us, with me this far, you may be asking, okay, Paulson, so, all right, I embrace risk and uncertainty. Okay, I'm with you. Um, I trust, I don't control, great. Um, I'm still sort of wondering what expectations I can have. What can I expect of God? If I can't expect him to always do what I want, yet have the ability to, what can I expect of God? It's a great question. I'm really glad you asked. Here's what Jonathan says. Come, let's go over to the garrison of these, will you say this word with me? Uncircumcised. I just wanted to hear all you say that. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. What's, he, what's Jonathan saying? I mean, Jonathan is not 
saying, listen, we've had a surgery and they haven't. Like, it was painful, it involved a flint knife. I was praying to Jesus a lot, but like, what, 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 is, he, what is he saying? He, here's what he's saying. He's like, these are people, we are going to battle against people who do not live under the covenantal goodness of our God, but we do. We, we are the people who've stepped into covenant with our God and we're trusting in his character. We're trusting in his goodness. We're trusting in the fact that he stands above it all and that he has called us his own. That's what Jonathan trusts in. Jonathan doesn't trust in a, a result or a, the way the situation's gonna turn out. He rests in the unconditional love of his great God in the midst of uncertain circumstances. That's what he does. He's going, this is where my, my anchor is in the fact that we are in covenant relationship with Yahweh, a God who can do whatever he wants to do. And so we're moving forward with this great God. Listen to the way that the author of Hebrews at the end of Hebrews 11 puts it. This is after he's told us that some were received back their dead and some were sawn in two and some were hiding in mountains and caves and destitute in deserts. And he says, in all these, though commended through their faith, they did not receive what God had promised. Okay, anybody have an issue with that? Just me? I mean, we look at it, we read it, and we go, well, why didn't God come through on his promise? Why, why wasn't he good on it? And the author of Hebrews answers that. He says, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So God didn't give him exactly what he promised because what he promised was actually pointing ahead to something better, something more grand, something that they could never have possibly imagined. So, so here's the deal. If I were to say to you, um, I'm promising you tickets for a concert, not in the Bahamas, but we are going to see Nickelback in North Dakota. And as the date gets closer, I say to you, you know what, actually, I'm really sorry about Nickelback in North Dakota, but I have tickets for Need to Breathe at Red Rocks to the glory of God. Am I good on my promise? Well, I'm better than my promise, right? Way better in that case. And that's the point that God's making here is, no, I didn't give you exactly what I promised because I actually had something better in mind that I was leading you to. So what can we be certain in? We can be certain in the character of our great God. We can be certain in the person of our great God. We can be confident that God is able to do whatever he decides to do. And we can move forward in risk and faith in light of that. We are uncertain in what the day may hold. You and I, the reality is we have no clue what type of phone call we get that dramatically changes our life this week. That's the truth of the world that we live in, friends. If you think faith takes you out of that reality, according to scripture, it preserves you within it. It doesn't take you out of it. But we are certain of the way that the story ends. Jesus wins. We are his. His love is over us. He calls us his children. Nothing 
can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You have been made perfect. You are seated in heavenly places with Christ. You will be resurrected and receive a body like his. His life, death, burial, and resurrection are what we cling to and anchor in as followers of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, every promise of God is yes and amen in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God doesn't intend to give it to us if he can't give it to us in Christ. And that's our anchor. That's where we expect with baited anticipation of that day when we see him face to face. And because we know that our destiny is sealed, our days can be uncertain. We can walk with him with the confidence that while we don't know he will, we are confident that he can. And if God has the ability to do whatever he wants to do, I also must believe that he has the wisdom to know whether or not he should. And so friends, for you and I, we get to sink our anchor into the reality. It's an anchor, not a joystick, into the reality that the life of faith is grounded in the victory of Jesus. And as we celebrate baptism today, that's what we're celebrating. The life of faith, the victory of Jesus. We go down into the waters remembering that we were dead in sin and he raises us up to new life. It's the the covenant that our God holds us through any storm we walk through in life. We can live in the temporal unknown because Jesus has been victorious in the eternal. And that's the picture we're going to celebrate together as a life of faith in just a few moments. But let's pray. So Jesus... Maybe, maybe you're going to do everything exactly the way that we draw up in our minds and hope that you will. We know you have the power to do whatever you want to do. But maybe you won't. Lord, I know that for me, there's a lot of maybes that I wish I could rewrite. I wish that there's things I wish you would have done different. There's wish I, ways I wish you would have shown your mighty hand, but, but God, for every person in this room, there's things that we bring to the life of faith that are maybes. And we're gonna step into more of them as we walk with you. Father, we wanna say back to you and declare this morning that, that our confidence is not in, in an outcome, it's in a God who controls and determines the outcome. And we trust you. We rely on you. Our anchor is firmly set in you because you have been extraordinarily good. You've shown your character. And so now we surrender our lives. Would you fill us with your spirit?
as we long to live a life of faith with you. Father, I just feel led to pray for people in this room that, that, that may be questioned, ways that, that they'd hope to see you move and, and they didn't. That God, today, would you, would you just speak through the power of your Holy Spirit right now? Would you speak healing into those places? Would you, would you start to, to work inside that, that wound to bring about wholeness and restoration? God, would you, would you renew faith? Would we renew trust in you? This morning, we pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen and amen. We have the chance today to celebrate baptisms, and we have, I think, four people who are planning on being baptized, and maybe a number of you weren't planning on it, but but you just sense God inviting you to take this step of faith. If you're a believer in Christ, we would invite you uh, to come and be baptized if you haven't been before. Eva is to my left, your right, right next to this door. And if you're planning on being baptized or it's a spontaneous, man, I just need to do this this morning. We have everything that you'll need in order to make that decision. And so you can stand up during this song and just walk out those doors. And in a few moments, we're gonna have the chance to celebrate as a church family the redemption and grace that is over us as a body of believers today. And I want us to celebrate really, really well because this is a beautiful picture of the grace that God has shown to each one of us. Will you stand with me as we sing this closing hymn? And if you'd like to be baptized, I invite you to step out those doors to my left, your right. Abide with me Fast falls the evening's tide The darkness deepens Go with me
answer is yes, I will never let you go. Nothing can separate you from my love. And that's what we get the chance to celebrate in baptism. It's the reminder that while we were dead in our transgressions and sins, that Jesus, by his life, death, resurrection, and the power of the Holy Spirit has made us alive in Christ to walk in newness of life. And so South Fellowship Church, we exist for moments like this, for moments of seeing God's grace and his hand move and work in lives. And so I want us to celebrate well, okay? So you can, you can cheer, you can clap, you can rah, rah, whatever you do with the Broncos, feel free to do here, as long as it's PG, okay? All right. All right. First, we have, um, we have Caleb, and Daniel's going to be helping too, his roommate. And Caleb, would you, would you share with us just how you came to trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Oh, that's a long answer. Um, Cliff Notes version? <laughs> He's just always there, leading you and holding on to you and loving you um, through all the pain and all the good things and the bad things, so... Is there a, was there a time where you decided, and I'm, I'm putting my faith and trust in you, I'm making you Lord of my life? Many, many. It's <laughs> a good way of putting it, yeah. Caleb, are you trusting in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sin? Yes. And is it your desire to follow him, to be obedient to him for the rest of your life? Absolutely. Awesome. You can have a seat in the, in the waters. And then if you want to put your hands sort of here or plug your nose, whatever you want to do. Caleb, based on your profession of faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, it is our honor to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Congrats, man. Thanks, Daniel. Next, Angela. It's warm. It's very warm. So, Angela, can you tell us how you came to faith in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life? From my mother from the time we were little. Neat. And so there, was there a moment where you said to Jesus, Jesus, I, I, I'm giving my life to you? I don't know. I think I've always just had that instilled in me. Yeah. From a very, from a young age. Very young age, yes. My mother. Great. And are you trusting in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sins? Yes, I am. Awesome. Awesome. One of the things we want to remind each other of a lot is that that's, it's about his work, not ours. So I'm going to do my best to remind you every Sunday. Okay. Okay, Thank you. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And Angela, are you, um, is it your desire to follow him for the rest of your life? Yes, it is. Awesome. You may have a seat. We're going to baptize you. Angela, based on your profession of faith in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, it is our joy to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
congratulations. It is warm. This is Olivia. Olivia, can you tell us how you came to know and trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Um, several years ago, my friend, she, uh, he's a part-time pastor, and he said um, I should start um, learning Bible. And I asked him, where is God? He said, you will see God. You will find God in Bible. I say, what if I... After reading Bible, I still don't see him. And he said, I love your attitude. You're very honest. So uh, when I started reading Bible, um, I really feel like I started building up a relationship with our father. And I feel like he loves uh, us very much, even though I haven't done anything to earn it or deserve it. And uh, that's why I'm, I would love to uh, accept him as my savior. Oh, wow. That is a great... And Olivia, are you trusting in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sin? Yes, I do. And is it your desire to follow him and walk with him and obey him for the rest of your life? Yes. Wonderful. You can give that to Dan. And have a seat in the water so you can put your feet out in front of you. Yep. If you want to plug your nose, Olivia, based on your profession of faith in Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord, as a picture of the salvation that you've been given, it is our joy to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Tammy, who was up here with us, is a friend of Olivia's who's been walking with her and encouraging her in this process. It's so cool to see the way that God works and moves through people, through you, through you. So, and then this is uh, Jing. Jing? Yes. yes. Jing, can you tell us, Jing, how you came to know and trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord? I grew up in China and uh, I remember when I was little, I was not good at any sport, uh, including ping pong, which <laughs> was sort of a citizenship requirement for Chinese. So okay, that's why China kicked me out. But uh, the only sport I was good at was long distance running, and for most of the time, I was proud of it. And I, you know, I thought that's, you know that I could run, run, run. But um, unfortunately, my pursuit of, of uh, my Lord has also been long distance running. That I just kept hmm. running, and sometimes yeah. I felt lost and scared. But you know, by the end of the, the day, I feel what really matters is not you know, how long my journey has been up to this point, but uh, you know, uh, is, is that eventually I'm found and I'm saved. So that today's the day. Thank neat, you. Neat. Praise the Lord. And Jing, 
Um, Olivia is your wife, correct? Yes, yes. Yeah, and her faith journey and yours have have come together. Yes, uh, actually, uh, that's uh, a powerful reason that led me to 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 this place and you know, to this fundamental moment in my life is just to witness the amazing changes that Lord has done to me, to my wife, and to my family. Neat. Yeah. Praise Jesus. Yeah. Praise Jesus. And Jing. Uh, are you trusting in Jesus alone for your forgiveness of your sins? Yes, I do. And is it your desire to follow him for the rest of your life? Yes, it is. Yes. Neat. Neat. Will you sit down? Well, Jing, based on your profession of faith in Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord and as your desire to follow him for the rest of your life, we baptize you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Congratulations. Is there anybody else back there that I need? She just watched in the Okay, okay. Well, what a joy, isn't it, to be a family of faith together that, that throughout the ages, followers of Jesus have entered into this um, picture in baptism, that, that together we're dead in Christ and raised to walk in newness of life. It's a picture of being in the family of God, which is why we want our whole family to be here. And so kids, thanks for joining us today. And parents, as the kids go out, you can pick them up as normal in their classrooms. But what a great time celebrating the grace of God. Amen? Amen. Hey, stay standing and let's sing together the doxology, remembering that every good thing we have is a gift from our Heavenly Father. Amen. Let's sing this with gusto since this is a celebration. Praise God from whom.